The following program contains disturbing content that may be in settings and situations similar to your own. Discretion is advised. America's heartland, flyover country, shaking dice at the cafe for morning coffee, crop prices and rainfall, a day's work for a day's pay, business conducted on a handshake, where a man is as good as his word, church socials, and town team baseball. But as the sun sets on this piece of Americana, there is no immunity from the darkness. There are things dare not spoken, and thoughts recessed in the corner of a man's mind, masked by the roar of a summer thunderstorm, hidden in the silence of winter snow, yet peering from the darkness in the shadows of the Midwest. May 30th, 1980. Emerald Township, Section 9, Fairbolt County, approximately six miles east of Blue Earth, Minnesota. It had rained a lot over the past couple of days, some say five to five and a half inches. It was around 9 a.m. when local farmer Gilbert Sheevy decided to take a short drive, about a half mile north of his place, to see how the county drainage ditch stood up with the heavy rain. Mr. Sheevy left his vehicle and peered over the side of the ditch. Debris was beginning to stack up, obstructing the water flow. And as he stared down into the mounting sticks and cornstalks, his eyes focused on something that stood out from all the dead vegetation. It was the form of a body. Water. The key element to life itself, a single raindrop working its way through the hydrological cycle has, in essence, existed in one form or another since the beginning of time. One might say that it holds the secrets of the universe. Now the death of a young woman in Emerald Township joins those secrets. Welcome to Shadows of the Midwest. Season 1, The Secrets of County Ditch Number 5, Episode 1, I'm Joe Kistner. I wanted to take a moment here to uh, interject a little sidebar, if you will. Uh, when the concept of Shadows of the Midwest first came up, the idea was to examine some uh, uh, relatively unknown old and cold cases throughout the Midwest uh, United States. This case came to me while I was assisting a family from uh, Becker County, Minnesota, with a missing loved one back from 1976. I had ran across this while researching some of that information. My initial thought was going to be that this case would take up uh, two to three episodes to uh, divulge all the information uh, involving this and all the circumstances involving this case. However, uh, that's not quite how it turned out. Uh, we ran across a lot of new interesting information and new concepts, and some of those are still being played out as I record this. So at this point, I'm not sure how many episodes this season will be, 
But uh, I ask that you uh, sit back, take the ride with me, and enjoy. Mr. Sheevy's report came into Fairbolt County Dispatch around 9.15 a.m. Sheriff Roger Fletcher was given the call and responded with deputies Erickson and Anderson. As their squad cars approached the location, Sheriff Fletcher could see Mr. Sheevy standing on the shoulder of the road in the dust. Sheriff Fletcher recalls speaking with Mr. Sheevy and seeing the body for the first time. He looked, um, he, he had told us that when he first looked at it, he thought it was uh, somebody blowing up now. He'd been caught up in corn cobs going through the, underneath this little bridge, a drainage ditch, and that's just kind of what it looked like. Only it wasn't. It was a human. They found the body floating on top of the water, along with some corn stalks and other debris that appeared to have come from a bean field. The drainage ditch flowed east to west and crossed I-90 at two different points, one and a half and two and a half miles east of the location. It was difficult to estimate, but they judged the water to be around six feet deep. The body was completely nude floating with the feet to the west and the head to the east. The chest was out of the water along with the nose and mouth, and at this time the officers also noted a type of rope or cord tied in a sort of knot around the neck. Sheriff Fletcher requested dispatch page the county coroner as well as the Blue Earth Fire Department to assist in the recovery of the body. Shortly after the sheriff made the request, Minnesota State Patrol Captain Virgil Carl arrived with Trooper Richard Hall. They, in turn, radioed a request to have local Bureau of Criminal Apprehension agent Bob Berg call the Fairbolt County Dispatch. As the fire department arrived, Deputy Jerry Anderson was processing the scene. Well, I, I can remember uh, crawling out on a ladder and taking pictures of her, you know. We put the ladder on the uh, on the bridge, and and I, you know, I'm a little guy, so... So I crawled out there and, you know, took took the pictures and stuff like that. Remember, I had a brand new pair of cowboy boots, and I, I I took off and started following the river to see if we could find anything else or any clothing or anything like that. And uh, I probably walked a mile and a half, I suppose, maybe, you know, but uh, nothing came up. Blue Earth volunteer fireman Gary Wells was just beyond his rookie year in one of the handful available for a daytime call. This feature Faribault County deputy recalls responding to the scene. We, the fire department, got the page, I would say it was, it was between 9.30 and 10 in the morning. And myself, and I think there was four other firefighters that got called, we went out in the rescue van to this location and there was already law enforcement there who kind of told us what was going on and what they wanted us to do. So myself and uh, another fireman had our waiter boots and stuff on and we went down there with one of the wire cages or carriers and waited out into the dredge ditch and proceeded to kind of basically float her back over to the bank, got her in that wire basket and pulled her up to the grassy area and law enforcement 
pretty much took over from there. When we were bringing the body to the shore, I recalled that uh, it was extremely bloated. And I, at first, I couldn't tell if it was a male or female until we got uh, her into that cage. And then, obviously, you could see that uh, it wasn't a male. And one thing I didn't notice was that uh, the skin and the meat was missing or gone from the top of her both feet. You could see like the tendons or whatever those are called. And I think there was a couple other areas where bare bone was showing, but uh, it was my thought, not, you know, not being an expert or anything, but I just thought that she'd probably been in there for weeks or even longer. But it looked, my guess was that it wore off. Maybe the debris just scraped it, scraped it off, but yeah. that was one, that was one of the reasons I thought she'd been in there longer. The face, you couldn't recognize anything. There was, there was a rope, some type of rope around the neck and um, being face up, all we could tell was that there was no hair. It looked like uh, the person was bald-headed. Whether it was shaved or not, I wouldn't know that, but there was no visible hair of any kind. Of course, we couldn't see the bottom, the back of her head or anything, but I just if she did have hair, it was just uh, basically scraped away by the debris, so yeah, I I do remember the rope and it was just the, the extreme bloating. We were, we were really actually concerned that getting in there, getting the body into the uh, cage that we'd, the uh, body would bust open. So we were uh, really careful. BCA agent Bob Berg arrived in Blue Earth by 11.30 that morning and was instructed to meet up with Sheriff Fletcher and Deputy Anderson at the local funeral home. The sheriff reviewed the details with Berg up to the moment, and with the assistance of Fletcher Anderson and the funeral home director, John Payton, he examined the body. Berg, a veteran investigator, made note of the following details. The head appeared to have been shaven with the exception of a small patch on the back of the head, one quarter inch by one inch, and approximately one quarter inch in length. A cord approximately 20 inches long and one eighth inch in diameter which was tied in a half-bone knot around the victim's neck. The victim also had at least one pierced ear, and there were signs that rings were missing from her hands. Agent Berg made arrangements to have an autopsy performed by the Ramsey County Medical Examiner's Office in St. Paul. Berg was given custody of the body and flew out of the Blue Earth Airport on funeral director John Patton's plane. The autopsy was scheduled for June 2nd, However, Dr. Michael McGee did a preliminary examination of the body on their arrival. Dr. McGee described the victim as a white female, approximately 25 to 35 years old, 5 foot 3, 128 pounds with brown hair. The only fingerprint that was still intact was on the left thumb. This print was used immediately to eliminate the subject from two recent Twin Cities kidnappings. Dr. McGee also noted something quite peculiar. It seems that the victim's fingernails were pulled out 
right before she died. This season on Shadows of the Midwest. I think he corroborated that and nobody knew anything about that other than, you know, Roger and Jerry and I and the people at the, uh, at the autopsy. And I will faithfully and impartially discharge the duties of State Patrol Trooper. You make a complete turnaround, you live exactly opposite of what it has been, and you walk in holiness before God. Do, do you have any desire to talk to an attorney or call him or be more informed of your rights? Probably just as a, in a summary form, you can just kind of tell me what happened in the last part of May 1980. Um, as you're aware, we're talking about the, the girl known as Jane Doe that was found in a bridge ditch uh, east of Blurth, Minnesota. Thank you for listening to Shadows of Midwest. And please remember to leave a like or review on your favorite podcast platform. Also visit our YouTube page along with our Facebook page for additional in-depth information and updates. Additional music was provided by Matt Webb and the Hutchinson Effect. Shadows of the Midwest was written and produced by Joe Kistner and a production of Just Past Nowhere Productions, LLC, 2023.